0: We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Carla Bergman and Sylvia McFadden. It is perhaps not named and noted as frequently as many other issues in the context of adult-centric social justice spaces, but youth, especially otherwise marginalized youth, get something of a raw deal in our society. They are often mistrusted, blamed for various social ills, put down as deficient in different ways. They often have little option but to spend great amounts of time in hierarchical educational settings that may allow some to thrive, but that push many out and squash the spirits and hopes of many others. Yet there are also initiatives that push against this anti-youth tendency. One such initiative is the Purple Thistle Centre, a youth-run arts and activism space in Vancouver. Also sometimes envisioned as an alternative to school, it is a place where youth can come together and collectively pursue their interests, where they can feel what it is like to be trusted and to be in charge, where they can work together to learn and to create, whether that is creating art, film, theatre, or a better world. Bergman and McFadden are organizers with the Purple Thistle, and they talk with me about the issues that youth face and about why the Centre exists and how it works. I spoke with them by Skype from Vancouver.
1: My name's Carla Bergman and I live in Vancouver on unceded Coast Salish territories. I'm a parent of two incredible young people and I do a little bit of writing and make scenes. And I spend a lot of time organizing with the Purple Thistle Center, which is also located here in my neighborhood in East Vancouver. It is a youth-run arts and activism center that's been around for 13 years. What that looks like is it's a physical space filled with arts, supplies, and all kinds of neat stuff like that. And it's run by a collective of youth between the ages of 15 and 25. They volunteer to staff it, keep it open for the public, and everything's free to use. It's a model of radical generosity, I would say, or radical volunteerism. I'm Sylvia McFadden.
2: I live in East Van, too, and I take photographs and I knit. <laughs> Those are my hobbies. <laughs> and I work as the youth coordinator for the space. It's one of the few paid internship positions. I just make sure that stuff doesn't totally fall through and turn into a mess. So if somebody loses their keys, I get some new ones and help with Carla, do the kind of nitty-gritty stuff.
1: I've officially been around for five years, but I've known about the center. First time I visited it was in 2002, one year after it opened. But I'm in the middle of making a film about the project and have interviewed all the original people. And then, of course, worked closely for three years with the founder, Adult, who is Matt Hearn. So my understanding is that about 14 years ago, Matt was working at a democratic school in North Vancouver called Windsor House, and he was working with a bunch of the teens there, and they were pretty bored, and he thought, why don't we try something, a project together in our neighborhood? So they got together with a couple other local East Van kids, and they met at his house, I think, once a week or something like that, and put money in a jar, and talked about what they really wanted to do that would see them thriving and feeding their passions, and Something that involved working together as a group, not so much as an individual what they would be doing to be thriving, but what as a group would be awesome to do. The youth all answered with questions like, I want to be writing. I want to be making art. I want to, and it, it really quickly became apparent that they wanted a space. They wanted a physical space to call their own. So they did that and they started really, really small. I think one art class, one writing class. And it just followed the desires of those youth. So if a youth said, I want to learn photography, that would support them to finding a, somebody in the community who could come in and teach photography. They got a really cool setup for a dark room, which we still have. And it just kept growing like that. I think what's really unique about the Purple Thistle is that the youth all have keys to the place, and it really is their center. As the adults around the place, what we do is kind of pay the bills, like, do the fundraising, get the permits, talk to the city officials, you know, keep it legit so we don't get closed down. And a little bit of mentoring, a little bit of mentoring about collective process and, and making sure that 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds feel good about coming into the space. It is 15 to 30. That went on over time. That first collective stuck around and kind of mentored the next collective and it just kept growing. My story with the project is similar to Matt's. My son was at Windsor House School, which is a democratic free school falls under that alternative to school, schooling model as well. By the time he was 12, he was pretty bored and looking for something else to do. And I also met Sylvia while she was at Windsor House and a few other youth. So I started doing stuff with them as a group. We started off doing movie nights at a house, and we were totally nerded out about it. And we all knew about the Purple Thistle. Sylvia had already plugged in there. And then Sylvia and I, with a few other people, started a magazine project called RAIN, which stands for Radical Art and Nature. And I started working with a group of youth similar to Matt and talking about doing projects together. And then I approached the purple thistle and said that I noticed that a younger group, between 11s and 15-year-olds, had nothing to do, even more so in a lot of ways, because they don't have freedoms of mobility. So Sylvia and I started a project in 2008 called Young Guns, which was that age group, 11 to 15 I think that's the story. There was a desire to create something that was new for young people to do, like an alternative to school.
2: My initial reaction to what can youth do right now, in my experience, was go to the mall and not buy anything because kids don't have any money, and go to school. And that doesn't work for everybody. And it didn't work for me very well. The idea of the Purple Thistle Center being a free space for people to go work on whatever they want is unheard of. Unless you have a really cool neighbor with a good basement or something like that. People with poverty or people who are marginalized, people who don't fit in, don't have a place to go. They stay home. And if they have a shitty home life, that's not a good idea either, right? So, I mean, the thistle has kind of just evolved into this space where young people can go and be free. Or at least figure out what that means to them, what freedom means to them, what they want in life.
1: I really believe in youth liberation. I think young people have, get the shitty end of the stick in our society. I think that they deal with a lot of discrimination everywhere they go, even in the most well-meaning places. The language is often that youth are empty vessels and need adults to fill them up, or they get talked down to, or programmed for, or all that kind of language. You know, I'm going to work and create something for youth, and the CISL kind of turns that all on its head and and asks youth what they want to do.
0: Tell me more about the ways that you see that our society is anti-youth?
1: It's everywhere. I mean, I could give a lot of anecdotal things, but I think the biggest thing that the Thistle, like what happens at the Thistle and the people who are around the Thistle, is we really believe in this notion of trust. And it really comes out of my film. Every single person I interviewed, they said that. They said the thing that's unique about the Thistles, I felt trusted. I think we have a society that really distrusts young people, particularly teens. And it starts even younger. You see it in playgrounds. The minute kids get big enough, parents start not trusting them on their little kids and thinking they're up to no good. And so there's the lack of trust. And then there's just straight up discrimination and being left out, like access, no access to things and to the, the so-called adult world, which is just ridiculous because we're completely missing out as adults by not including young people into a lot of areas of our lives.
2: I can't think of anything in particular. I just feel like it's
1: a systemic thing of, like, you know,
2: a wee kid of four years old really wants to learn how to make eggs or something like that, and they're like, you know, not old enough yet. Like, it's just this constant doubt of people's abilities. And like, maybe it's true. Maybe that kid can't make eggs, and he totally fails and burns them. But that's part of the process. As soon as somebody's interested in doing something, they should, you know, should be allowed to do it. <laughs> that's all the time, constant. Probably if you look back through your childhood, you'll have heard it. No, don't do that. You can't do that. You know, what do you think you are? Just constant kind of making you second guess yourself or doubt
1: yourself as an individual. One of the things that Matt always said that I really liked was a lot of community centers and a lot of mandates for a lot of youth projects including school, but particularly the ones outside of school, they don't know, say that their goal is to get youth off the street, right? Like, to keep them safe, away, and this is the other side of the kind of negative discrimination, although I would think this is negative as well. You know, keep them safe, keep them off the mean streets, and at the Thistle, we completely turn that on its head. We are all about getting youth back on the street, engaging completely and fully in their communities that they have just as much to contribute. It's in some cases a lot more to contribute in all factors of life. Yeah, like Sylvie says, it's systemic. It's it's fear based. It's the opposite of curiosity and the thistle and the way that I parent is very much curiosity. You know, if the kid is curious about something, I say go for it. When you trust kids, they learn themselves quicker.
2: <laughs> they learn they learn that, you know, oh like I cannot climb that tree. I should not climb that tree. <laughs> yeah. But some of them learn that they can climb the shit out of that tree and you get to know yourself better. What I took away from my childhood was to doubt everything, to doubt myself, to doubt any capability I had. It's an injustice that we do this to kids.
0: So you say that the centre is run by a collective of youth. Tell me a bit more about that collective, both in terms of who are the youth that are involved in it, and how does it work? How does the collective function?
1: It's whoever shows up and hangs out and participates and shows up on Monday nights, the meetings, is part of the collective. It's a lot of local kids, a lot of kids who are into art or activism, or a mix of both. You don't have to be into that. A lot of young people show up because they're really into organizing. They're really into the idea of creating community building and doing stuff for their community. It's a great site to learn how to do that. And we work with a lot of organizations and groups. It's schooled kids, unschooled kids, all backgrounds, all different ways. It brings all different types of people in. And then the structure is that we do an informal consensus and we sit in a circle. But it's not heavily processed either. We really believe in the idea of build the best relationships and do the best work when you're doing stuff together and not sitting in a circle talking. So, you know, kind of 90 percent, let's do stuff together, 10 percent, let's have a meeting about it. So we have a meeting once a week for an hour talking about dreams and schemes and do we need toilet paper and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes bigger issues come up, but mostly it's pretty fun. A lot of people who come to the meetings for the first time are blown away by the warmth and the kindness It's a lot like a really functioning, happy family a lot of the time. We just have conversations. It's not too heavy in process.
2: When you walk in to this collective meeting, there's usually about eight people and sitting around in a circle, eight to 25, usually about eight. And they're just sitting and they're talking about their day. They're talking about their shift that they hold. Everyone has a shift to keep the space open. They're three hours a day, usually in evenings. There's usually programming running during the day talk about their shifts, they talk about duties that need to be done, and then we eat. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like this grand scheme. <laughs> yeah. And usually it's pretty accessible. If anyone comes in, we always invite them into the meeting to eat the food with us or whatever.
1: I would say the word that better maybe describes it as a horizontally run space. So we, we issue any hierarchies or bosses
0: in different community organizing kinds of things. The attempt is to be anti-hierarchical, but often processes end up being dysfunctional despite best efforts. What do you think that you've done that has helped to keep things functional and warm and supportive in the ways that you've been describing?
1: First of all, I think that I would like to qualify it by saying it's something we strive for and we haven't figured it out, but we do have moments of doing a good job at it. I think it's that we have some really solid principles that we run the center on. And when they get kind of stumbled on, it's part of my role as the anchor to step in and gather everybody and we'll often have like a day long summit to talk about it. Some of these principles are notions of friendship, hospitality, conviviality, you know, like some really nice stuff. Let's treat everybody really well, first and foremost. One of our slogans is that we're definitely politically overt, but we're not ideologically pure. And when ideology starts happening on the collective and that dysfunction starts happening we just come back to those principles of really have a sense of friendship, first and foremost. Let's be kind first. Like I said, it's something we strive for, and at times we really hit. Those principles are something that Matt really brought to the project and that I really believe in as well. And I think it's based off of a lot of Yvonne Illich's thinking around how to deinstitutionalize, because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do is to deinstitutionalize how young people come together.
0: So one big part of what the center does is drop in space, something that's very self-directed. And, you know, I'm interested in photography. Let's learn about photography, that kind of thing. But it also sounds like you have some slightly more formalized programming as well. Can you tell me a bit about that?
2: One program that runs during the week often called Dream Seeds, it's an employment program for young women. And I actually, that was how I hooked into the Thistles. In 2006, I was part of the first batch of participants and so, yeah, there is programming that runs during the day. It provides a great deal of our funding and helps us keep the space open.
1: Yeah, so it's a federally funded program. It's not part of the collective, but the collective is okay with us using the space. Part of that horizontal model is that we have pods. You know, we have some collectives of collectives at the Thistle. So there's a garden project and they have their very own collectives. And we have the Purple Thistle Institute, which is an alternative to university pod. We have the publishing pod. And these are all groups and collectives that run autonomously, but also are interconnected in that we share the resources and we're always checking in with each other. Part of my role is to ensure that that's happening, particularly around funding, because at the end of the day, there's only so much resources. So we're always talking about sharing and how that looks and solidarity with each other. Tell me some more about the pods. The ebbs and Flows, the pod system, when Matt and I were both co-directing, the pod system was a little bit more vibrant because there was more of us around two anchors supporting it. But right now, the garden pod is probably the biggest. So we have three gardens. We've taken over Boulevard. Land. We're, we're in an industrial area, the Purple Thistle. And so it started off as a gorilla gardening project. And then we got permits from the city A couple of people who are on the Garden Pod Collective are also on the Core Collective. So there's also a lot of cross-pollination happening within the center. We have bees. And even the Garden Pod Collective also breaks down into smaller groups as well. So there's like the bee pod and there's all different groups that work out of there. We do like tinctures and there's people who do sprouting. And then the other one is the Rain project that Sylvie and I started years ago in 2007. And it's a publishing project. All things publishing up in there. We've supported a bunch of different zines. We've worked in a mentorship way with other zines to have come out. We did our own, both Rain and another one called Slug. They're anthology um, zines. The mandate of Rain was always to create a space where emerging and well-seasoned writers and artists would be presented next to each other and not in a tokenistic way. Until recently, we had a little cabaret pod
2: where people were putting on cabarets once a month, although the head for that moved away.
1: In 2010, Matt, myself, and Amjil Hall started a project called the Purple Thistle Institute. And it started off with discussion groups. And it's very theory-based at the time. We ran them bi-weekly at the Thistle, brought in community organizers and activists, as well as academics, to talk about decolonization capitalism, urban politics, all kinds of different theory. One of the summits that Matt and I held with the Thistle Youth, that's what we took away, was a lot of them were really craving theory. So in 2011, we launched a pilot project. It was three weeks. It was the Purple Thistle Institute, and it brought in 40 participants from all over. It ran for three weeks, and it was a mix of theory and praxis. So in the mornings, we did classes. We had decolonization class, and then we had um, Astra Taylor came and did philosophy we had urban politics. I did unschooling and deschooling and deinstitutionalizing. We had one on understanding capitalism. We had one on food sovereignty, and one on feminism and gender studies. I think I'm missing some, but anyway. And then in the afternoons, the participants joined in with community groups and went and worked with them. And the evenings, we did a mix of participant-run gatherings and community stuff. And it was really great. Since then, we've just done more seminar series with it and done the summit. We've done two social spaces gatherings.
0: Tell me about the different approaches to fundraising or funding that the centre has taken over the years.
1: Mostly it's been grant funded. We were lucky enough to fall under the umbrella of a charity project called Arts and Action Society. And so we're able to work with them and get a lot of funding through them. That's 90% of our funding. The rest is donations. The one thing we've done the last year, which is exciting, that's bringing in a little bit of revenue, is we published a book, which both Sylvia and I worked on. It's called Stay Solid, a Radical Handbook for Youth, and it's through AK Press. We had, I think, 13 editors work on that book, and seven were youth. The rest were adults who work or are mentored or were part of the Thistle community on one of the pods. The 100% sales from that book go to Funding the Thistle. We've tried various other forms of fundraising. There's more work. They don't really work. We definitely could do crowdsourcing, but because we do have a charity number, like it, it feels, we, we do okay. We have a really lean, low the ground budget because it, like I said, it's a radical volunteer project, including myself. I don't make my living at the Purple Thistle. So I try to think about solidarity and about groups and radical projects around town who don't have access to funding the way that we do and think that a lot of the other styles of fundraising, whether that's going to the community through crowdsourcing or doing, you know, fundraising events should be left to them and we should be supporting them.
0: Does the center also serve as a space that other groups in the community are able to use, or is it pretty much always occupied by purple-thistle-related activities?
1: Definitely, it's a lovely mix. A lot of groups over the years have used it in all different ways, whether it's to hold meetings there or, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of activist groups have used it to make their banners, for example, (laughs) late at night. (laughs) And there's been a lot of Indigenous-run groups have used it autonomously for their groups, scores and scores of different groups because we have all these resources and they're free. There's all different ways we partner as well, especially around larger artist projects or bringing in artist residencies and doing really rigorous art residencies, partnering with other groups, for example.
2: There's also been a really quite a large amount of theater productions out of the space, which is quite funny to me because the space is quite cluttered and yet they find space
0: and where it's the center working with other groups, like beyond providing just space that other groups can use autonomously, where it's collaborative things, they've mainly been arts-based?
1: No, there's also been actions too, especially around the anti-Olympics. You know, I don't want to go into too much details around that, but we've definitely worked in solidarity with other activist groups and doing actions as well. Some of them have being straight-up activists. It's one or
2: the other. It's arts or activism. <laughs>
1: yeah totally i wrote a piece a few years ago where the thistle sometimes is really heavily emphasizes on the activism part like our subline is we're an art and activism center and then sometimes it's very art focused and i would say right now we're heavily art focused that doesn't mean that activism isn't happening it's just taking a background to the arts
0: what are some of the other ways that the activities of the center have ebbed and flowed and evolved over the years
2: it's just a natural flow. I mean, there was a couple of years ago we had 30 people in the collective, and they were all really arts-based and very performance and things like that, and it changed the entire feel of the center. When I first started coming to the Thistle as a collective member, there were like seven people who were like super hardcore dedicated to the space in a way that I haven't seen before. Instead of being about art or being about activism, I guess that would fall under the activism quality, but they just really, it was all about like keeping the space open and keeping it
1: usable. And
2: the tone of the space changes depending on who's in it and who's okay
1: taking care of it. When I first started coming there, the collective was primarily gutter punks, and so the place was full of dogs all the time. <laughs> and they were doing cool stuff in there, and the art you know, screen printing darkroom, and the whole thing came out of that group. And then right after that, the collective was a bunch of really nerdy, geeky programmer types. It was like a bunch of shy introverts that you could hear a pin drop at the meeting. Um, and then, like Sylvia said, then it ended up with this flamboyant creative of the clowns. and I mean, it just it varies and it ebbs and flows. and the thing that's the same is that it's youth run, and we and on those principles that I talked about earlier.
0: If there are folks who are listening in other parts of the country who think that this sounds like a, a really neat kind of space and they want to start thinking about whether they can do something similar in their communities, what kind of advice would you give them?
1: They had about two to four emails a week asking. A, could I tell them how to start Thistle and B, if they can come visit? I'd usually quickly jump to B and say, please come visit and hang out with us because it isn't a simple recipe. In fact, it's the opposite of that. The only advice I really give to people is, especially if it's around youth, first of all, you should know some youth. <laughs> and second of all, ask the youth what they want because it might not be an art space. And then if you're really committed to creating something that's an alternative to school, that is youth-run, that's genuinely coming from the youth in your community, then you got to ask them what they want. So pretty much let go of any preconceived ideas of what that looks like. That's the model. Yeah, yeah. To facilitate as opposed to, you know, going with ideas or about that. So the quick answer is that you can't actually replicate Purple Thistle, but you can create alternatives to school for youth.
0: Tell me more about your film project.
1: Sure. It's called Doing It Together, a film about the Purple Thistle. And I think we have a subtitle of Friendship and Youth Liberation. And we started filming <laughs> in 2011. I thought I'd be done by now, but that's how it goes. I'm working with a great filmmaker, a community-engaged artist named Corin Brown as a co-director. And we have a fantastic editor named John Collins. It was very much a community-engaged project, hence why it's taken so long. It's very much like the Thistle, we started by just going to the youth and the communities, people who have been involved in the Thistle, and asking them to tell us the story. And from that, we're making the film. And in 2012, we took a group of youth down to Mexico, to Oaxaca, to visit an alternative to university program down there called Uniteba, which was founded by a person named Gustavo Esteba. Who is someone who really influenced Matt around a lot of what we do at The Thistle? So I thought it was important to go visit him. And so we did that. I think the film's going to be good. We have a good mix of mostly youth voices, but we have some people talking about theories. We interviewed Richard Day, Pastor Taylor, and a few other people who think a lot about autonomous spaces and unschooling and those themes that we talked about earlier, deinstitutionalizing.
0: What are some of the key things that you're looking forward to the center doing in the next six months or year?
1: A cool thing that's happening right now is we have a resident curator who's working with the collective and the larger community building towards a larger Purple Thistle show. So we have a bunch of different artists coming in and giving talks and workshops on how to work in the art world. Like I said, art is a really big topic right now, the Thistle. We just had a
2: collective meeting where a
1: bunch of people decided upon cool
2: things that are going to happen in the next six months. We have a couple, so the collective members, one of them's going to do an alternative film processing class, which I'm stoked about. We have someone in our collective right now who's this beautiful, beautiful painter. and She's going to do a class. They're going to do a class on color and how to paint, which I'm also super stoked about. We're going to do once a month movie nights where we're just going to pull the couches out and make popcorn and do movies, which
1: I think is going to be really fun. They're all pretty small-scale, but pretty exciting. And then also to jump off the book, Sylvia and I, we're going to do a a reading group with youth, with teens, starting at the end of January, and use the book and a lot of the contributors who live in Vancouver to come in and still take conversations and see where that goes. That's really exciting, too.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Carla Bergman and Sylvia McFadden of the Purple Thistle Centre in Vancouver. To learn more about their work, go to purplethistle.ca. that's all one word, purplethistle.ca. or search for the Center's page on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca.